Hey, let's continue worshiping the Lord now by going to his word. No less delight now, no less worship as we open the Bible. Join me in Luke uh, chapter 19 and the parable of the 10 minas. Let's talk about the pronunciation of that word real quickly. I have heard three acceptable English pronunciations of that word that I'm calling minas here. So you may have heard it called minas. That's fine. Uh, minas. It's fine. Not minos, but minas. And then uh, Mina, and I don't know which ones I'm going to say when we get to the text. So I might mix it up in here because all three are acceptable here. But on our way to our text, let me ask you this question. What do you do when you're waiting on an important phone call? What do you do when you're waiting on an important phone call? I think back to my childhood before cell phones. Here's what you did when you waited on an important telephone call. You waited in that room. You couldn't risk it. Can you imagine it? Some of you who are younger, they, the phone was tethered to the wall in one room of the house. And if you were waiting on a doctor to call or a, an employer to offer you a job or somebody special to you to give you a phone call, you didn't leave the room. And if you did leave the room, you stayed within earshot there and told everybody to be quiet because you're waiting on a very important phone call. We did learn this back in those days. Staring at the phone did not make it ring. Thinking, come on, ring. And it didn't help any. Nowadays, though, isn't it wonderful? You carry the phone with you. You could have the most important phone call of your life, but you're able to continue to get things done wherever you need to go while waiting on the call. Here, Jesus is going to give us a parable that tells us, no, you're not waiting on a phone call, something much better. You're waiting on the return of Christ. And while you're waiting on the return of Christ, you can be and must be very productive until he comes again. See with me how, how this gets started here. Luke sets it up as the spirit guides them in verse 11. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So there's our context. What Jesus had just said before Jesus gave us this parable was verse 10, where he says, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus was reiterating to his disciples, here's why I came. I'm seeking and saving the lost. Now they're approaching Jerusalem and the messianic expectations of his disciples now at high pitch. They are thinking this to themselves. Okay, we've seen him do the miracles. We've heard his teachings. We're convinced he's the Christ. Here's what's about to happen in mere hours. In mere hours, at most just in the next few days, Jesus is going to culminate the kingdom. He's going to take the throne. He's going to overthrow all pagan rulers. The Romans will no longer be our oppressors because the Messiah is here. And here it is. We're heading into Jerusalem. Luke says that's what they're thinking. They thought the kingdom was about to appear immediately. They were excited about it. They knew a glorious age is about to dawn right now. Now, they were partly right. When Jesus comes again, he will indeed reign in righteousness and justice and perfect love. And it will be a glorious new age that will never end. They were right about that expectation. They just had the timing wrong. And so Jesus gives this parable to remind them of what he told them before. There's going to be a waiting period before this glorious coming. And there's something to do. So let's go in now to the parable, verse 12. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business 
until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. Verse 16, he first came before them. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and are you able, and you will be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit. You reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. And he said to him, Lord, he has 10 minas. I tell you that to everyone who has more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. We hear this parable and we say, wow, there is a lot going on in this parable. It is riveting. We have people being rewarded. We have someone being reprimanded. And then at the end of this parable, we have people being slaughtered. Jesus, you can imagine talking to these first hearers, they are hanging on every word. What is he talking about? He's gripping their imagination with this story. And the central plot of this parable is this. A nobleman is going away to a king to be given authority to rule over an area. The first hearers of this parable would have understood that custom quite well because that's how it worked in Judea. So the Herods, if they were going to rule over that area, if they were going to be called king in that area... The Caesar had to say so. So they would go in a delegation to Rome to get permission to be called a king over that part of the world. So the first hearers knew that custom quite well. But the point here Jesus is making is in this story, he's the nobleman who's going away. He's the one who's going to come back in due time to rule over the area. So his followers needed to understand that, that there's a going away before the reigning. His followers need to understand they needed to be faithful during that interim period. So let's talk together about several realities about about the things about the second coming from this parable. First reality is this, that Jesus is coming again. This parable makes very clear, like elsewhere in the scriptures, Jesus is coming again. He'll go away first, but then he's coming back. Now, what do we know about the second coming? We know a lot. We know it's going to be wonderful. But what we don't know is we don't know when it's going to happen. So if you ever read an article or a blog or see a pamphlet or somebody speaking about they know when, nobody knows but the Father when this is going to happen. We also don't know the precise sequence of events in his second coming. Many of us have studied it, and I have my understanding how I believe it's going to go. But no matter how you've studied it, we have to bring a great deal of humility here to this because we might not have the sequence of events quite right. The book of Revelation has so much symbolism in it. The book of Daniel has so much symbolism in it. And so we do our best to understand it. We know it's going to happen exactly like God intends. 
But we're humbled going, I may not have it exactly figured out, but it doesn't negate the fact that he's indeed coming. So we know this. We know that in his first coming, though, he ushered in the kingdom of God. So remember, Jesus would say, even in his preaching ministry, he'd say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So even in his first coming, he's bringing the kingdom. And in every person who repented of their sins and believed in Jesus, the kingdom has come. King Jesus is reigning over them. They're in the kingdom of God. But what we're awaiting is the culmination of the kingdom of God. When Jesus comes back to his earth with the title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When Jesus comes the next time, he's going to reign visibly over his earth. He's going to reign in truth and justice and in perfect love. He's going to overthrow and judge all evil. He's going to come and rescue and reward all those who have believed in him. So pretty soon, it's going to be all good all the time when Jesus comes, but not quite yet. We know something's wrong with the earth, right? We watch the news, we read the news, and we're grieved. And these days, especially all these shootings, these mass shootings, they grieve us. School shootings, supermarket shootings, hospital shootings, church shootings. Then there's the economic trouble, this inflation impacting everyone, causing hardship. There's this ongoing war in Ukraine that's impacting really the whole earth, and that grieves us. And because of these things happening, we haven't even been aware until I just read recently that there's a famine rising in Somalia. Totally missed that. And that's just a tragedy unfolding in a tragic part of the world. And, and that's not even all that's happening in the world. These are difficult days. But believer, understand that God has not forgotten you, that Jesus is going to come for you. Didn't Jesus say, I've gone to prepare a place for you and I'm going to come again to take you where I am. But here's the question. God hasn't forgotten you, but is it possible that you have forgotten the mission that he gave you? He told us there's something for you to be doing until I come again. This parable is all about that. Have you forgotten the mission? Now, we've already seen in several of these parables something that we're to do while we're waiting. We're to be in continual prayer to the Father while we're waiting on his return. But this parable tells us we're to be in continual service to the Lord until he comes again. So the first point we're just seeing in this parable, Jesus is coming again. Second clear reality from this parable is there will be an interval. There will be an interval of time while we wait. Again, Luke's explanation back in verse 11. And they heard these things. As he, they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. And so this parable to adjust their expectations. No, not immediately. After a waiting period, I'm coming. We have the same thing taught to us in 2 Peter chapter 3. Do you remember this? But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So God here clues us in. I have a different sense of timing. We might think God is slow. God's behind schedule. And he's telling you, oh, not at all behind schedule. Though you've been waiting a long time for the second coming, I told you it's coming and I let you know there's going to be a waiting period. That's what 2 Peter 3 is about. That's what here in Luke 19 is all about as well. 
But in this parable, we're told this nobleman, he went away to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom, and then he will return. And this is exactly what Jesus did. He went into Jerusalem. He suffered and died for our sins. He was raised from the dead on the third day, and then he went away by ascension to heaven, and he's already king. He's already reigning. He's at the right hand of the Father, and then he is coming, and we await for his coming when Jesus will rule over all creation and over all people. Believer, don't doubt his return. Maybe you've been tempted to doubt. You think, I've been waiting my whole life. If you're a Christian, you've been one for a while. You think about all the generations of Christians have been waiting, and maybe it's been making you think, I don't know that this is really going to happen. Maybe this is too good to be true. But here in the word of God, you were told in the very first century by Jesus, there is a time of waiting, and we're living in that time. But while we wait, it is difficult to wait. When he, when he comes... Those who've been vilified will be vindicated. When he comes, those who have suffered will enter into salvation. When he comes, all of our pain and poverty is going to evaporate into paradise. All, it, all of this is going to be wonderful, but we wait for it. But waiting is hard. Here we are in this vacation season, and so I've seen some of you already go on your vacation for the year, and happy for you to see you out there on vacation. And you're back. I kind of feel sorry for you, though, if you've already had your vacation. Because now you're like, oh, now i got to wait a whole year. Some of us have vacation coming later in the summer, something to anticipate. But it seems like a long time sometimes when you're waiting on a good vacation. And then conversely, when you're on vacation, doesn't it go by fast? Like those days. And then you're waiting again for a long period of time here. But we're waiting on something far greater than a river or a beach or a mountain or an amusement park. We're waiting on all things being made right, like God intended from the very beginning, all things restored. So believer, that's coming even as we wait. Don't lose your hope. Don't lose your joy. There's a reunion coming. There's restoration. There's eternal rejoicing coming. Jesus is coming again. But now this, while we wait, we have a mission. While we wait, we have a mission. Here's what we're told. We're to engage in business while we wait, look again at verse 13. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. Jesus is teaching us there is work to be done while we're waiting on his wonderful return. But for us, it's so easy to get distracted. It's easy for us to waste hours, to waste days. We can waste years, even decades of our lives but we can't do that. This parable tells us that we must be faithful. Now, what has Jesus entrusted to us as his children? What kind of business are we to be involved in? Verse 13, calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. So again, what is this mina or mina or mina? What is that thing? So it was a, it was a currency, a Greek monetary unit worth 100 denarii. So a coin of great value. So you may know that a denarius in those days was, was worth one day of working for a common laborer. But a mina was worth 100 denarii, 100 days labor. So we're talking three months of income. That's the value of this coin given. So let's ask the question, what of great value like that has Jesus given to me while he's away? What great value has he given me? And here it is. It is the gospel itself. This is what the Lord has entrusted to you. This good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. So what kind of business 
are you and I to be involved in until Jesus comes? What is the family business that we've been called into? Well, we saw it back in Luke 19, verse 10. Right before this parable, Jesus tells us the family business. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That was his mission in his first coming. That's what he has us doing until he comes again. So said this way, our mission, our business is sharing the gospel. Until he comes, our business is making disciples. Said another way, the family business that God has called us to is evangelism and its missions. This is what we're to do until Jesus comes again. And from this parable, we see that it's unimaginable and inexcusable that we would not be faithful to that mission in these years while we wait. Now think about it with me. Previous generations were faithful with that mission. How do we know they were faithful with that mission? Because here we are in an 11 o'clock service sitting here. Somebody shared the gospel with you. Somebody else to share the gospel with that person for that gospel to reach you. There were previous generations of Christians who were faithful with that good news that was entrusted to them and it reached us. Here's the question of the hour for ourselves. Will we be faithful with that gospel? Will there be others who will hear the good news of Jesus because we were faithful with this treasure that was given to us? Unimaginable that we would not be faithful. So many of us are excited anticipating the return of Jesus. And since I was a new believer at 17, I've asked the Lord kind of regularly, come Lord Jesus. We look forward to his return when everything will be made right. We've longed for that uh, as a creation for him to come again. But do you not realize some of you today might be excited about his return, not realizing that when he returns, he's going to evaluate you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your sins will be forgiven, you'll be saved, but he will evaluate us for the purpose of reward or not reward. Here's a reminder that when Jesus comes, not everybody's going to be commended. Not everybody's going to be rewarded. Here we read of two servants of the 10 who were rewarded for their faithfulness. Remember, one received a, a, a mina and he was able to say back to the master, look, I've earned by putting it to work, like you said, 10 minas more. And he rewarded him. I'm going to put you over 10 cities now in this kingdom I just received. Another showed up and says, well, I took yours and I earned five minas more. He said, you're going to be over five cities for me. I love the way these men talk to the master. This was your mina. It was never my money. This is all your money. And I just did with it what you told me to do while you were away and they were rewarded for it. But then we read about this other one. One of the 10, he was reprimanded for his unfaithfulness. Notice it with me. Verse 20. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina which I kept laid away in a handkerchief for I was afraid of you. There's so much going on in just that response. First of all, wasn't it complete disobedience? Did the nobleman, nobleman not say, I want you to engage in business while I'm away. And here's a guy who said, I didn't do it. You said to do it, but here's your mina back. I didn't do what you said, but then see the carelessness with me. This treasure was given to him. What did he do with it? He wrapped it in a flimsy cloth and just laid it aside. That's not what you do with valuable things. We don't even do that in our day. If you got something that valuable, you're going to protect it. In those days, you at least put it in a box. You might have even buried it in the ground to protect it in a secret place. But the master said, you, you should have put it in the bank at least. If you're not going to do what I told you, put it in there so I could get some interest. Complete disregard. In fact, he's even insulting the master saying, I was afraid of you. You kind of withdrew things you didn't even deposit. Almost saying like you're dishonest. And you reap where you didn't sow. It's just a whole package of what not to do. 
But understand, not everyone, when Jesus comes, is going to be rewarded and affirmed. Only those who know Jesus, of course, will be saved. And only those who have been faithful with the gospel will be rewarded. So here's a very practical question for all of us to consider together today. What are you doing with the gospel message that has been entrusted to you? Are you sharing the good news with others? Are you making disciples while you wait for Jesus to come again? Now, what would that look like in your life? To live a life where you're focused on sharing this good news with others. Listen, it, it could be as simple as one aspect is wearing one of these wristbands. So we make these available. We've replenished the supply out there to make sure you could get one again today. And I realize where you work, you may not be allowed to wear something like this. Where I work, they let me do it. And so I'm able, to, I'm able to wear one of these. But even if you can't wear one like I get to do, you can put one in your pocket, put it on the gear shift of your car, in your purse, something. But for me, I like it. Look, there are a number of ways I can share my faith with others. I can use the Roman road. I can use tracks. I can just see how the conversation unfolds and go to Ephesians 2. Those are lots of ways, wonderful ways to share. But I got to tell you, I like this wristband. And I've been wearing one now for several years since we made these available. And it's just for me, such an easy way when the situation's right to invite somebody to church. So I'll often take it off there and say, hey, I'd just like to invite you to church. Sometimes I'll say it this way. This is an invitation to our church. And there's a website there that tells what time we meet, where we meet. And sometimes it's just that. That's all that the situation will allow. But other times they're looking down at these symbols here that we have on there. These are gospel prompts. What, what are the elements of the gospel? Sometimes they're looking at it. We have a moment and I can walk them through that, engage if there's any interest for, for more. There's just a nice tool to use. It makes it very natural. Even during the worst of the pandemic, when everybody was super germ conscious as we needed to be, uh, I remember thinking, you may not want this. <laughs> Do they want to take something from my hand? But it was amazing to watch people just slap it on their wrist, even in those days, but have a good gospel conversation. Listen, what does it look like? We're just talking about what might it look like if I take to heart sharing this treasure, engaging in this business God gives for us, what would that look like? For some of you, it's going to look like getting involved in children's ministry in the church. Hear that vital task of taking the gospel to the next generation, making disciples of our young ones here, you plugging into that, that is an expression of this. I'm going to invest in the generation coming by. It, it could be being in student ministry, volunteering there to make disciples of our students. Don't we all agree they're, they're growing up in a toxic age? So many adversaries, so much hostility toward their faith, and you could invest in them. This is what it means to take seriously investing this treasure in others. It's making disciples in your home. It's responding to God's call to missions. As you hear about unreached, unengaged people groups around the world with no access to the gospel, it's you saying like Isaiah, here am I, Lord, send me to that people group. But here's what we see in this parable, no excuses for unfaithfulness. No valid excuse here. Fear is not an excuse. The servant tried to pull that one. I didn't do what you said because I was afraid. Notably, I was afraid of you. Now, that's not typically our reason for disobeying and sharing the good news. We don't fear God as much as we should. But where is our fear? I don't do this because I fear the culture. I fear the people around me. But we have, we have a lesson in this from the very first disciples, when they were warned, don't talk anymore in the name of this Jesus, or we will beat you. We will arrest you. You saw what we did to your leader. We'll do that to you if you keep talking about Jesus. What did they say to that? We have to obey God rather than man. We have to share this good news. So in obedience to the Father and out of love for other people, they just kept talking about Jesus. A week or so ago, it was Memorial Day. 
and we, we rightly remembered heroic men and women who gave their lives to defend this country and the freedoms that we enjoy. And a number of things were on television. And, and I, I made sure that on that Monday, I was thinking about those and the families that are grieving loved ones. And one of the things I did, I watched a, a show on television, Vietnam in HD, a documentary. And they interviewed an, a team of Marines that were there taking one hill in Vietnam in those days. And I, I have to tell you, I was very inspired just seeing what they went through. And the, the name of the hill that they were tasked with taking was, was called, nicknamed Hamburger Hill. Maybe you've heard of that because of so many lives lost, the, the brutality of that battle. And, uh, and the, the ringing question that came out of that battle where 70 Marines were killed and many others wounded. Here's the question. Was it worth it? That's what the Marines who fought that day were questioning, even on that day. Like, why are we doing this? Well, they did it because they were commanded to. And then one of the Marines said, I did it because I'm a Marine and I can't let down my fellow Marines. We're going to do this together. And, and when accomplishing that mission, somebody even scrawled it on that temporary sign, Hamburger Hill, was it worth it? Well, you and I are to advance with the gospel in a hostile world, not as hostile as hostile as that particular mountain, that hill on that day. But here's the question. Will it be worth it if in this hostile age, I in love for the father and love for others, I persistently, consistently, faithfully share this gospel. Will it be worth it? Oh, it'll be worth it. Everybody who hears this message and believes and born again, like you presently are, they're going to be so glad you weren't silent. You didn't wrap that gospel in some handkerchief and leave it on the shelf. They will be so glad you were faithful as they will become worshipers. They'll have a home in heaven because they believed in the same savior as you. And on that day, when Jesus gives out rewards, however, he does it in addition to the free gift of salvation that you've received, however, he chooses a reward. You'll be so glad. I'm so glad I did not sit on that treasure. I'm so glad I put it into business like you told me to do. You will not regret it. You'll, it will all be worth it. This week, I received the latest issue of Voice of the Martyrs magazine, and they featured in that magazine prominently a young man by the name of John Chow, a 26-year-old American who equipped himself for nine years before going to a remote island in the Indian Ocean to share the gospel with an unreached people group. This unreached people group was a violent people group. They were known for killing any outsider who would come to their small island. And so he went in 2018 and he got there knowing the risk involved. He'd been equipping for nine years to go to them. And he knew this, I need to let them know I'm coming in peace. I don't mean any harm. I hope they won't kill me just by being there. So he left gifts for them there first, things that maybe they would recognize this, this man's here to do something good, not bad. But nevertheless, upon arriving there on the beach, makes first encounter with this hostile people group. Even one of the children shot an arrow at him, didn't kill him, but it landed in his Bible, this waterproof Bible that he had. And so he had to retreat uh, back to his raft and back to the fishing boat off in the safety there of the sea. Well, you can imagine that night where he's thinking through, okay, I, I, do I give up? Do I go away? But still convinced that he needed to get the gospel to these people he went back the next day. And that next day, he did indeed lose his life for the gospel. He was killed there. Here's the question. Was it worth it for John Chow, a 26-year-old, to equip for nine years to go there to take the gospel to that people group? Knowing the risk, here's what he told his family ahead of time. He said, if you do a memorial service, let them know that I was obedient to what God called me to do, to reach those who have not heard the gospel. Oh, it was worth it. 
to be faithful. In the end of the story for that people group, not yet written, may, may they come to faith in Christ. Listen, you and I can be no less faithful with this gospel. You and I need to be faithful on the mission that God has given us. Yes, our culture is hostile in some ways, but nevertheless, the mission remains. We go out in faithfulness and love to take the gospel to them. So fear will not be an acceptable excuse for why we did not do what Jesus said do while we wait on his return. Here's one more excuse that won't be valid, and it's ignorance. Ignorance. We can't say, I didn't know how to do it. I don't know how to share my faith. Listen, there have never been more resources to help us share our faith than the day in which we live. Can I tell you the great resource you have is just sharing your testimony of how you came to know Jesus with others. So you don't need any more training than that. If you can just simply tell, hey, here's what my life was like before I met Jesus. Here's how I came to know that Jesus was the Savior and how in his, that is death, burial, and resurrection. This is how I came to know that and I trusted Jesus. And here's what my life has been like since then. And then just ask me, would you like that to happen in your life? You can even fumble through it and God can still save people through it. No matter how beautifully or not beautifully we tell that story, you have a testimony that you can share. You can invite somebody to church and see where the conversation goes. Somebody might ask you, what are you going to do this weekend? Well, I'm going to have a cookout and then on Sunday, I'm going to go to church. Would you like to come with me? It could be easy enough to ask and not everybody is going to come, but some will. We, we stay at it. It could be inviting somebody to read a book with you. Maybe you have a reader in your life and you're concerned about their salvation. You maybe think of a Christian book that you think might pique their interest. Hey, would you like to read this book with me and maintain conversation? There are tracks available. It was over a year ago now, around a year ago, we had the Seed Sowers Conference where we tried to equip another wave of church members for how to have these gospel conversations. But let me mention one other resource. You could ask any pastor in this church to meet you for coffee or lunch. You say, I'm just a little rusty on sharing my faith. I'm not really sure how to do that. Would you meet with me and explain to me again how I might share my faith? Could we talk about that? That's every pastor's dream conversation. Don't think you'd be, you'd be imposing that's what we live for. In fact, I had a young man do that within the last couple of months. We met for lunch. I didn't know what the agenda was, but we sat down for lunch and he wanted to know, hey, I just want to make sure that I'm sharing the gospel well. I want to be confident and I want to be competent with the gospel. Can we talk about that? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yes. And so we're available to help each other with that. And then finally, here Jesus in this parable, we've heard a lot about how we're to be faithful, but then he comes back at the end about those who we're told hated him, didn't want him to rule over them. Remember verse 14 at the beginning, but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. So there were those who opposed him. They didn't want Jesus to be their leader. He's indicating that by this parable. But then what about them? What about those who hate Jesus? When he comes again, what that's, what's that going to be like? Verse 27, the very end, Jesus ends the parable like this. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. So that's hard even to read. That sounds so harsh. But in that parable, Jesus is indicating that when he comes again, he will bring salvation to those who have believed in him. He will bring rewards to those who have been faithful to him, but he will bring judgment on those who persist in their unbelief and their rejection of Christ. For those who hate Christ, it will not go well for them when Jesus comes again. The other day, my family and I, we were watching a PG-13 movie there at our house, and it was an enjoyable movie, except one of the main characters in this movie 
when he was mad about something, when he was disgusted about something, he chose a word to use as his word of profanity. You know what the word was? Jesus. Jesus Christ. Every time he was mad, it was just over and over again. So offensive. I was thinking about it. Of all the words in the English language he could have used to express anger and disgust, he didn't have to choose that one. In fact, he did not have to be limited to just the English language. He could have gone from any language all over the world to pick any word to show anger and disgust. But what word did he choose? Jesus. Jesus Christ using the name of the Savior as a cuss word. Listen, that's hating Christ. That's disdain for Christ. So what will come for those who hate Jesus? Some do it in very vulgar, profane ways like that. Some might be more polite about it, but a person who rejects and resists Jesus, I don't want him ruling over my life. It won't go well for them. But there's coming a day, even those who blaspheme his name, we're told that when Jesus comes, every knee will bow. Even those tongues will confess that Jesus is Lord. They'll be subdued. They'll be humbled on that day of their judgment. But today, here you are, and I don't know your particular story, but I'm just so glad that you're here. And no matter your background, no matter how many sins you've been involved in, no matter how far off you may feel like you've been, here's good news. You can be saved today. Jesus said the mission is to seek and to save those who are lost. Isn't, isn't lost the right word to use for us apart from Jesus? We don't know where we're going. We don't know what life's about. We're getting ourselves into trouble. That's all of us before we came to know Jesus. But today, would you recognize that if you've never known Jesus? Recognize I'm lost, but Jesus has come for me. Jesus died for me. He was raised from the dead. He'll forgive me. I'm coming home. I'm coming to Jesus to be my savior. Trust in Jesus. And then would you share the gospel of Jesus with other people? That's, that's the force of this parable. We cannot be unfaithful with this treasure that's been entrusted to us. Here's my prayer that at the end of our lives or when Jesus comes, whenever that may be, we'll be among those by the grace of God and by the empowerment of the spirit that he'll say to us, well done, good servant. Pray with me.